welcome to another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you like it is. And uh, this is episode number 122, 122, just before Christmas uh, year 2021. So uh, here we are. And if you have any questions or comments for us, you can always email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com, kbmakel at aol.com. Or you can leave them in the comments section on Podbean, which is our primary carrier creative platform that we make these podcasts on. So you can, either way, if you want to contact us, either way. Well, we got some interesting news, as I articulated in the last podcast. Uh, I won't go through the whole thing, but go back. If you want to listen to my theory on the Baldwin defense, you know, they, 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 they say Baldwin got the first confirmed kill in the war on women. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it would be funny if it wasn't so sad, if there wasn't a 10-year-old boy out there who's deprived of his mother uh, for the rest of his life and, and everything else, this poor woman trying to make a living. And due to the circumstances of what I consider to be neglect, negligence, carelessness, stupidity, all those things together, uh, she wound up losing her life. Um, and Alec Baldwin was holding the pistol that fired the fatal shot. So the, the Baldwin defense, just very quickly, is, hey, guns are bad, guns are evil. Uh, this is Guns are obviously unsafe because I never pulled the trigger and this gun just went off. It just went off. I pulled the hammer back and it just went off. Um, to a lot of people who don't know anything about guns, this sadly seems possible and in fact that's that's part of the baldwin or baldwini baldwiner strategy is to get people talking about the technical aspects of guns which they may not know a lot about but they make assumptions about because they see them in the make-believe movies and tv shows like the ones alec baldwin makes um all the time so he wants to divert it from his responsibility and what his obligations to safety and everything were to well this is a gun and you know it's a little bit complicated because there are obviously several different types of revolvers i mean um if we take out the double action revolvers and the top brake revolvers and and uh that we take those away uh we have single action revolvers left and there are really two types of those there's the modern Ruger revolvers, which you don't pull the hammer to the half notch to load. You just open the loading gate. Uh, they had a lawsuit years and years and years ago. And I, I think it was solved. I think it drug on for four or five years. And, and it was finally finally uh, settled sometime in the early 70s. And the Ruger company stopped making the traditional single action lock work and gets the and got the one you got today which is okay and it's a very safe gun i for the most part approve although i prefer the traditional single action but i approve of the ruger design i think it's a really good design it's very safe and there's no way the gun will go off if it's dropped and is hit on the hammer but uh, you do lose the traditional function of the lock work so there's two types out there to people who don't know about guns uh, this is all going to be confusing 
it's all going to throw up what Baldwini is looking for, which is this reasonable doubt. And if he gets a jury of clucks, if he even goes to trial, I don't think he's going to... Let me just say right up front, I, they're not going to charge him criminally in this. He's just not. Uh, what I think will happen is he's going to get his pants sued off him. And his company is going to get his pants sued off that. And, you know, the company and all that is probably protected by insurance and all these other things. Um, but he's probably going to get personally sued for, for killing this woman. Um, and, you know, the bottom line is it's going to be a lot about all this stuff of, of, uh, if he gets, if he gets, if it's a goes to a jury and he's got clucks on the jury who don't know about guns, um, it's all going to have to be explained to them in meticulous detail. And of course, some of the, the explanation is going to be challenged and, you know, it still remains to be seen what the, what the circumstances really were, who said what, who was supposed to check what, who was barred from the set for COVID reasons. All these things have been floating around out there. Nobody really knows. It's a shame when you think about, if, if nobody had been hurt, nobody would care. This this would just be another, you know, if, if the bullet had gone over the woman's shoulder and blew up a light behind her or something, it just would have been a scary thing. But basically he hit her in the chest and killed her. Uh, she was probably dead before she left the scene. You know, it's just the way that way that works. That that pistol did exactly what it was designed to do. It's designed to launch a projectile, designed to actuate a cartridge. And lying about whether you have your finger on the trigger or not, you know, is just going to be uh, probably a bridge too far. But you know, he's he's trying to throw up whatever reasonable doubt he can. So. Um, it's going to be it's going to be yet another fine example of our judicial system probably going amok because if they buy into any of his any of that story any of that defense if anybody buys into it um you know it's it just shows you uh that the legal system is maybe irrevocably broken so anyway, that's the Baldwin defense, and it's it's out there, and and you know people are kind of discussing it. People around work, where I work, people know a lot about certain types of guns anyway, and and again, it's thrown up enough reasonable doubt so that people are discussing it. So that's in some ways it's a brilliant, it's a it's a diabolically evil but effective tactic so far. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, okay, another thing. In this era of smash-and-grab robberies, rising crime rates, homicides at an all-time high, all this other, all this bad, all the, all the benefits of the Democratic Party leadership brings to you, it is amazing to me that this Gavin Newsom, this greasy, just filthy looking I, would you buy a used car from that guy I, I would not I would not the greasy hair the the, the whole persona the, the cheap suits I would not I would not buy a used car from this this schlub but apparently he got elected in California and withstood a recall um, 
<laughs> he withstood a recall uh, effort because he was able to defeat the new face of white supremacy, namely a black man named Larry Elder. Hmm. Still have to think about that. But anyway, Newsom is pushing. He's he's talking about using the Texas abortion model law, the Texas abortion law model as a way to achieve gun control. Nobody quite knows what he's talking about or what he's what he's going to try to do. I, I think he was just grabbing some headlines. But gun control is not the subject du jour that it was even a year ago. I mean, hey, you know, even even if you're not a person who would normally agree with the type of people who are stereotyped as gun owners, um, you know, face it, it's it's out there. They they see the mobs, they saw the riots, they saw the mobs, um, they saw the Rittenhouse deal. You know, nobody's saying, oh, you don't need an AR-15 to protect yourself. Why would you need a military-grade weapon like that? Why would you need that? Why do you need those 30-shot magazines? Hey, they just got they just got a lesson. They just got schooled. Or as they would or as LeBron James would say, scooed. They got schooled um, on exactly why you need that type of weapon to defend yourself. Exactly. And uh, so it's nobody's really talking about that now. They they still don't like them, but they're not talking about them. So nobody really knows what Newsom's going to do other than grab a few headlines. But, you know, there's a lot of people who are normally would not be or at least would be apathetic to gun control. You know, they don't care. They don't really have guns, except now they might have bought guns in the last year or two years. And they might not they might not be the, you know, hardcore shoot every weekend gun owner, but there are people who maybe grew up with guns and didn't have any then did not have any as adults and said hey you know maybe i need to pick up a shotgun here or you know i knew how to handle a uh, um, a pistol when i was in the service so maybe i will pick one up now or you know my brother showed me how to shoot a handgun and i need one too or my best friend did you know all of that all the you know the ammunition shortage was not created by hardcore hobbyists buying up every round in sight it, it was created by people buying guns and when you have seven million gun owners if each one buys a hundred rounds of ammunition that's 700 million rounds Ooh, that's a lot that's a lot you know we're talking you know that's two-thirds of a billion that's pretty significant when you think about it so anyway um and that's seven million new gun owners you know so uh there you go so i don't think anything will happen there but it is interesting that someone would even think that there's any political mileage to be gained in gun control at this point which leads me to believe i kind of i just kind of mentioned it nobody's really talking about gee ar-15s need to go away you're just not hearing that nor are you hearing those evil pistol braces are going to bring down america you know the greatest national threat um is not chinese hypersonic weapons or you know russian massing troops on the border of the ukraine it's pistol braces
Because we all know pistol braces are evil, pistol braces are bad, and they're going to cause the, you know, the fall of the United States. We're going to descend into anarchy because <laughs> a few thousand people have bought pistol braces. Um, you know, it's, it's another fake issue. It's another fake issue, and it's gained less traction than I thought it would. I thought braces were pretty much a done deal with Biden. After Biden stole the election... I think the I thought that braces are gone, and I thought large framed AR pistols are probably probably they would they would have some severe restrictions for magazine capacity or some some other things. So none of that came about, and part of it was they blew it when they uh, put this guy Chipman up as head of the ATF, rabid anti-gunner. Everybody knew him. He looked like he's a mental defective. Um, Nobody liked what they saw, and they basically had to make him go away. So, you know, after that, it just the, the air went out of the sails. The, the gun control fell off of everybody's radar, and uh, nobody's picked it up since because they. I think it's a dead issue. I think just too many people have purchased guns, and too many people are using them and, you know, have them and... You know, it's become less of a partisan issue. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But yeah, braces, large framed AR pistols, you know, all these things that were going to bring an end to civilization as we knew it just aren't important now. So that's very interesting. Very, very interesting. And it's something we can always throw back in their face too. That, hey, if this was so important, why did you abandon it? And of course, they'll lie about it, but... You know, the fact of the matter is, um, they know it's not their issue. It's not a winning issue. Okay, this is something else I like to do this time of year. This is Santa's wish list. And these are things I wish they would offer uh, that, I, for the most part, they currently don't, or they don't offer enough of. And so the first thing I'd like to talk about are components. You know, there's a whole industry of hand-loading that is the bottleneck the long pole in the tent right now is primers uh you can still you can kind of get powder you know you may not get the selection you like but you can get powder you can get the bullets um you know you have to hunt around but you can find this stuff it's you know it's getting it's getting slightly better and you can even find some primers now and again i i saw some they're horrifically priced but Small rifle primers, a thousand of them for 125 bucks. Um, I think by this time next year, that'll probably be, hoping at least, cut in half, if not more. But we'll see how that we'll see how that shakes. Um, but you know, these these things have to have to be out there, and uh, I think that the industry as a whole has got to realize how fragile the supply chain and how fragile the hand loading hobby and industry are if there's no primers and they've got to find a way around it they got to get a dedicated primer factory or do a joint venture of all these reloading companies and everybody owns a stake and uh, you know it's, it's got to be something they've got to do something they got to have a supply of primers that are not that cannot be diverted to ammunition production as we have seen over the last almost two years you know with they we have to have primer production for hand loading 
uh, not just primer production as a an overflow of the ammunition production that they're already doing so we'll see about that all right the next thing I would like to have and this is something that nobody ever talks about but I think would be cool there's a cartridge called 50 GI and it's basically it's got a 45 ACP rim but it, everything else is kind of uh, scaled up for 50 caliber it's the same length I think as a 45 ACP or, or very close um, it's it's a very cool cartridge it's not very widespread ammo and guns for it are very expensive but I tell you what I would love to see an N-frame Smith & Wesson five shot in 50 GI that used moon clips and I think that would be an awesome gun that would be awesome and I'd actually like to see two models I'd like to see a well three models a four inch a six inch target guns that have the adjustable sights you know a good patridge sight on the front you know maybe the maybe the four inch one could have a ramp sight for holster carry instead so you would have the six inch with target sights you would have the four inch with adjustable sights and a ramp front so you could uh, carry it in a holster better and then you'd have a snubby that would be maybe two or 2.5 inches that would uh, you know have the you know traditional fixed sight that a revolver has you know that groove milled down the top of the front strap and a front sight and uh, yeah that would be very cool you could even bob the hammer on the snubby make it a uh, a gun that doesn't snag very much that would be those would be cool guns to have very cool guns to have and on the six inch barrel I would want a gold bead insert in the front sight um, I don't know I'd want a white outline rear maybe maybe I don't but that's what I would like to see and I would like to see it come in a very durable finish not well I'd let, you could have a variety of finishes couldn't you you could have a really nice blued finish on the six inch gun a duty you know kind of heavy duty finish for the uh, the other two guns you know some dark Cer dark Cerakote um, would really like to see that uh, you know there'd be a lot of fun fun guns you could even bob the hammer on the uh, on the snubby that would be that would be fun you know and and I think if it was more normalized the ammo cost would come down on the 50 GI cartridge because I think only the gun gun crafter industries the it's a proprietary cartridge to them and I think they're the only people who kind of have it loaded and, and sell the loaded rounds um, I've never seen it in any of the bigger you know gun stores or anything it's I think it's strictly uh, you get it from them the way 50 a and e used to be for the Desert Eagle and then a few more guns got uh, chambered for it they didn't really last but um, you know then then other manufacturers kind of picked it up a little bit and so you could do that you could do that with 50 GI but a 50 caliber snub nose gun would be very cool and and you know there's other things that that could be had out there that would that would uh, really make that attractive and that is you could have a really good shot capsule for that and it would be a better gun than say a Taurus judge or the Smith and Wesson governor um, you know if you had a a decent and reasonably developed 
shot cartridge for that 50 caliber pistol i think you know you would you would fill that um, that niche really well but it would be a great shooter first and a shotgun thing second and uh the you know it would fit into a traditional end frame which would be really nice that'd be really really nice so that would be that would be a very very cool um gun to put on the market so uh, another thing I'd like to see would be nine by thirty-nine rifles. Uh, that's that's a seven-six-two by thirty-nine necked up to a a nine-millimeter, you know, a three-five-eight type cartridge, three-five-five, three-five-eight, whatever it is. And they produce it, I think, in Russia. I don't know that they produce it anywhere else, but occasionally you've seen some of that ammo uh, for sale here. Um, and there are a few guns for it. It's it's mostly used for suppressed applications. But I'd like to see a regular AK style rifle look just like a regular AK chambered for it. I think that'd be cool. Um, would like to see an AR. That would be cool because um, it's a it's a kind of kind of neat cartridge and it would probably fit into an AR platform pretty well. And then uh, I'd like to see maybe a nice lightweight carbine maybe even one that takes high capacity magazines who knows you know because those are out there now you know they several companies make them and they're actually pretty cool that you know bolt gun that takes an ar mag is is actually pretty cool so um that would be a very cool thing that would be out there and i'd like to see that uh, i would it would be a lot of fun to play with and it would be a lot of fun to, you know, go watch watch the content creators lose their minds by comparing it with the 300 Blackout or something and, you know, doing all this kind of stuff. So uh, it'd be a lot of fun that way, too. It'd generate a lot of discussion and a lot of uh, comparisons and head-to-head -head tests and all that. Another thing I'd like to see would be 30-inch barrels for... In my case, Savage Rifles, 30-inch uh, heavy barrel, 6.5 Creed more that would fit on my Savage Rifle. I've got a 26 on there now, but, you know, really, I, I just shoot that thing off a bench or off a bipod. So it doesn't really have to be, you know, the easiest. You, you could put up with the inconvenience of having a 4-inch longer barrel. Would not be a big deal. If you could get if it really enhanced the performance and I would like to see if it would really enhance the performance you know how cool would that be um, I know they used to do that with 762 NATO way back in the day they would put 30 inch barrels on it that way it would stay at least the theory was it would stay supersonic when it hit a thousand yards so it'd be a lot more accurate as a thousand yard gun but other than that um, that would be a lot of, I think that's something that could be out there. You'd probably get them custom, but uh, be nice if they were uh, more available than that. Next thing I'd like to see, this is the last thing on the Santa list. Um, I'd like Colt to in, reintroduce the Diamondback. Of course, I would like to see them up the production of the Python and, and the, the Anaconda, which they've uh, they both brought both of those back but I think the Diamondback 4 inch 38 special needs to come back those were great guns and uh, you know it's funny um, revolvers really are really more popular now than they have been in quite a while um, a lot of people are seeing the the benefits 
of a good revolver. And, and as a matter of fact, it's something that, that actually it's a counterpoint to that, but I, I was listening to a podcast and they were, they were talking about how crappy revolvers are. And it turns out one of the guys is a collector and his experience with most revolvers, or at least what he talked about was, was Webley revolvers you know, 100-year-old Webley revolvers. And, uh, you know, that's that's kind of a ridiculous comparison. That's like comparing a Model T to, you know, a modern car today. You know, I mean, a modern passenger car. I mean, yes, they both have four wheels. They have a steering wheel. <laughs> they, they'll hold four passengers, but that's about it. It, it, it neglected the fact that revolvers have evolved and you know if you shoot a lot of older revolvers you you kind of know that the uh, you know you, you can't compare a Ruger GP100 with the Colt model 1901 <laughs> it's just you know it's it's yes they both in some ways look the same but their design their durability and reliability are very, very, very different. And so um, the, the revolver is just not a single thing that you talk about, and it covers everything from the cap and ball up to the, you know, the latest and greatest. No, they've evolved quite a bit. Um, there's still always the capacity issue. A lot of people don't want six shots. And, you know, there are some that are seven and eight and down to five and you know and that but the whole thing is they are limited you know revolvers have a limited ammunition supply compared to semi-automatic the trade-off is they are normally more powerful and they are normally much not much more but they, they are normally more reliable um, because most malfunctions in a semi-automatic gun come from the magazine and face it the magazine is actually part of the gun the cylinder in a revolver so a revolver is actually a very very good thing to have and in most civilian defense shootings the capacity is certainly adequate so there you are um, it's just it's just ridiculous some of the arguments people make uh, you know so anyway well talk about those a little bit later probably okay I will now do the cast bullet update I ran across and I know everybody's probably tired of cast bullet updates and powder coating but you know as I discover things I want to pass them on because if you are interested in this um, maybe a tip will help you out um, I basically cast a bunch of 310 grain 44 caliber bullets with the idea that I would load them uh, for 44 magnum and have a heavy bullet, kind of a super heavy bullet, hard-hitting load. Really just for no real purpose other than just to do it. So I cast the bullets, and it's the Lee gas check design. I uh, powder-coated them, put gas checks on them, and I thought, hey, I'm off to the races, man. I got everything ready to go. And lo and behold, I could not get them to seat well, and I could not get them to keep neck tension. I mean, it just, even with a heavy roll crimp, um, it just didn't work. And it got to the point where it was so bad, I just basically scrapped that idea. And I said, I'm going back to square one because there's obviously something wrong here. So I'm going to try to figure out what this is. And what I figured out was that 
the powder coat did its job too well. And that is when I put it into the case and seated it, it what would be normally fine for a lead bullet, because lead bullets are a little tacky, you know, lead you can you can kind of dent it with your thumbnail a little bit. It's it's got a lot more friction. It's it's more clingy. Well that you can get really good neck tension with and then with a good roll crimp that bullet's not moving anywhere. Uh, with powder coating it's so slick that it's not there's no real adhesion to the brass case so it'll sit in there you push it in there it'll sit in there. It also had the very annoying habit of it's so hard it doesn't I, I can't really describe this but most bullets will write themselves in the seating process kind of go in and be fine well these would not do that these would want to create a bulge in the case on one side of the case that was you know would in some cases prevent it from chambering so so I scrapped that idea then I went back and said why is this though working so well for other others and what I came to was, well, in smaller calibers like 30 Mauser, where I use powder-coated bullets and they've worked wonderfully, or even 38 Smith & Wesson, where I have the same, the same uh, um, good result, I think it's because there's the smaller caliber adheres a little bit better. That, that brass case, it's a little... You know it's smaller and it doesn't it doesn't have these great this larger surface that the bullet can slide around in and it's easier to get a really and you get a really good roll crimp on those you know even the Mauser rounds you put a little roll crimp on them and they just don't move they just will not move so I found that uh, those two plus 30 30 worked really well uh, one lesson that I learned though is you got to be careful if you're going to load a 180 grain bullet in a 30-30, a cast bullet. You can powder coat it, it's all going to work out fine, but the most critical dimension in a lever action is overall length. Um, that's, just, that's just the way it is because you look at most lever actions, the bullet's got to go into the magazine, then it comes back and it gets lifted up and pushed into the chamber. Uh, via all kind of a manual system and it's you know you kind of look at it it's not a simple system it's it's quite a, a lot of curves and and the ammunition has to be the right length to work if it's a little too long it won't work very well and if it's too short it won't work well so that's the cast bullet update um, basically uh, you know some of the larger calibers were problematic and I wasn't going to push these 44s that fast they were going to be under a thousand feet per second at least initially it's a starting load so uh, they didn't need to be powder coated so I'm not going to do that I'm just going to go ahead and conventionally lube them put gas check on and I'll probably be you know going down a happy path with that okay all right we are now at my favorite part of the podcast which is questions and answers and here is a question that came to me what destroys a rifle barrel and uh, a lot of the people will tell you it's cleaning. It's over cleaning and it's using bad jointed cleaning rods and all these other things. Um, and, and while those things are probably not great for a barrel, what, what really kills a barrel is heat. And that's where you get muzzle where it, you know, you, as you heat the steel, it becomes a little bit softer 
and as you keep firing um, the wear increases just the way it is and um, I can tell you that um, in a service rifle um, rapid fire is what what kills you and and usually it's throat erosion caused by rapid firing which is a terminal condition in a service rifle barrel it, it there's nothing you can do to save it and um, I think that when you've heated it up a lot too that's where a lot of muzzle wear comes in and and you know that's kind of where they gauge it they gauge the throat and they gauge the muzzle they don't really gauge the stuff in the middle but I imagine that there's quite a bit of wear in there too and when you've seen some of these torture tests where they've taken you know a 5.56 and fired 10,000 rounds in it the effects of heat are just amazing so what really kills barrels when you're shooting is heat the other thing that really kill but for everyone that gets shot out there are probably 20 barrels that get trashed because of neglect you know neglect is the biggest killer of a gun's bore and that is even you know just not having rust preventative lubrication down there um, regardless of black powder and corrosive primers and, and all those things are even worse but even with modern ammunition um, a neglected bore can be absolutely trashed so that's neglect is the biggest thing if you don't neglect your bore and you don't shoot a lot of rapid fire your uh, barrels will last they will last a long time I have rifles over a hundred years old that have nice bores and are still going strong and and you know in a hundred years they've probably been shot a lot probably been shot quite a bit okay here's another question this actually came from an acquaintance I want a vintage black powder cartridge rifle which one should I select okay the key word there is vintage okay you want an antique because you like the collector value you, all the rest of it there's really the best choice that I can think of is go and you can find them for about a thousand dollars is a good condition trapdoor Springfield um, the model 1873 1884 1888 Springfield uh, single shot 45-70 bullets are easy to get brass is easy to get you can even get rounds that are loaded for that action you know they're they're not overloaded you can then load your own with black powder or black powder substitute or even some of those uh newer smokeless uh, powders that are kind of designed for these big cartridge rifles and you can have a great time and it's it's like i said you can 4570 is around it's everywhere and it's it's it is a great cartridge that's the one to buy um, when you buy the exotics like the 577 450 martini henry uh, be prepared for serious ammunition challenges if you don't want to deal with that go with the 4570 if you're going modern you can you can really buy whatever you want but again 4570 is an excellent choice um, is it the most exotic no but it's it's it really makes up for it so I would go with a 4570 trapdoor as a vintage rifle or if I have to go with a sharps or a rolling block something new I would definitely go for a 4570 in one of those 
Okay, this is oh, this is an easy one. Do movie guns influence gun purchases? I would say, of, of course they have, and, and they always, they probably always will, but um, yeah, as going back as far as certainly the 1930s, you could say that the cowboy western genre, I mean, that kept the single action alive, it brought the single action back after World War II, it, it has spawned cowboy action shooting, um, you know, face it, Wild Bunch shooting is based on the movie The Wild Bunch. So, yes, movie guns have definitely inspired gun sales. You, you could talk about the PPK, the, the uh, Smith & Wesson 2944 Magnum, and, and there's other cool guns. They had a lot of, I think a lot of Desert Eagles are sold because people see them in movies, and they say, I, I want that. You know, I want a gun that looks like that, a big, big cool gun. So, yeah, they should, certainly do, certainly do. And uh, it's not a bad thing. I've never really bought. I, I don't. I don't think I've ever bought a gun simply because it was in a movie. I have bought. I have though become interested in certain guns because I'll see them and I'll say, "Hey, man, that looks really cool," and I'll I'll investigate it. And then if I want one, I'm I would buy it. But I don't. I don't hold that as the sole criterion for uh, for buying a gun. So. There you go. Okay, here's the next question. What do you think of Henry rifles, like the Henry Big Boy? Uh, well, let me tell you. I, I think that they do make a good copy of the original Henry rifle, which they've they've brought out in the last few years, maybe the last five or six years, uh, because they kind of portrayed themselves as descendants of the original Henry rifle company, which they are not. But giving making that um, making that copy of the 1860 Henry did did give them some street cred, and they that kind of shored up their their advertising pitch that they are the maker of legendary Henry rifles. Um, frankly, they they don't do much for me. Um, I don't really care for the design of their receivers. Uh, they look a little gaudy to me in the brass. They look clunky to me. They don't. I, I think they're coming out with some now, but um, the King's Loading Gate they generally don't have. They may have some models with it now. So you do tube loading. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. But again, I I kind of like the the authenticity. I realize they did <laughs> bully or buy their way into being accepted by Cass, so the cowboy action shooters can use them. Um, you know, I mean, I um, I don't know what to do with it. what I would tell them to do would be something they wouldn't want to do. I would bring out a brass framed 1866 Winchester, and I would also bring out the 73s you birdie has got, and I'd bring out a 94. I'd bring out each one of those. That way you could appeal to the people who wanted an early one, an early style one. You are already making the 1860 Henry. If you made the 66 Winchester, and then you made like a, um, a 92 Winchester, that'd be pretty good. That'd be pretty good. And then you can make all your other ones, and if people are willing to buy them, fine. I, 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 don't, I don't like them. I don't like the styling. I don't like... 
I like I like real authentic authenticity in my liver actions. So I don't really care for those. Don't don't need them. Don't want them. Uh, do, 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 do. Should I get a Heritage Rough Rider or a Ruger Wrangler? Um, I'm going to have a surprising answer for this. We bought a Wrangler, and it's a good gun. It's a good gun for the price. It's a good gun. It is not the simplest gun to shoot. Um, it sights, you know, it's a it's a single action, so it's it's got the traditional single action sights, and you know, it is it is just, I it is just a little more difficult of a gun to shoot. Um, in comparison, it com, comparison, God, in comparing it to the Heritage Rough Rider, uh, the to me the Rough Rider it's if you flip it over, they never show you the side that's got this big funky safety thing on it. Um, I have no issues with the Rough Rider. If that's what somebody wants, that's what somebody wants. But I think the Ruger is probably a much better firearm. And I think that I would, uh, I would go with it. I will tell you, as far as carrying a small bore sidearm, on our on our property which again you know this is not this is not the Yellowstone okay this is not the Yellowstone this is a lot smaller than that as a matter of fact the backyard of the Yellowstone is the Yellowstone mansion is a lot larger than than, than this than this property as a matter of fact the farthest I can shoot is is probably about 400 yards or 500 yards if I cleared a little bit of land but um, anyway, that's the that's that's the kind of land it is. But I, I go out and I have to do chores and I have outbuildings and I have to do you know things and plus I'm always you know kind of walking around on it and you know um, the two guns I carry one is my end frame um, ex Brazilian Navy model 1917 and the other is a Walther P22 and I am not a huge fan of the P-22, never have been, but for this particular use, it's actually quite excellent. Holds a lot of shots, holds like nine shots. Um, it is accurate at anything I'm going to shoot a 22 at, which, face it, is going to be probably um, 10 yards, 12 yards. You know, you're not, not going to be standing out there shooting, shooting lizards at 25 yards with it, but, you know, so anything I would need uh, for snakes, that that sort of thing, uh, it's 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 quite adequate and uh, quite quite good. I like it. It's very light. It's actually lighter than the Wrangler. It's actually not a not a bad gun. I never thought I would say that about a P22 because I don't really care for the the Zamac frame and the alum and the uh, you know polymer frame, the whole nine yards. It, it's it it has a lot of qualities that I do not hold near and dear, but. It is it is pretty effective, um, you know. So I would, before I would restrict myself to either the Wrangler or the Heritage, I would probably say save your money a little bit and expand your horizon so that you could get um, look at an auto loader that you might you might find would suit your purpose a little better. Uh, 
basically being a little easier to shoot so that's what I would say but all in all I'm not disappointed in the Wrangler it is a it is a good gun it is a nice gun and a very very safe gun because even an Alec Baldwin can't make it go off so um, it's it's a really good gun so that's what I would um, that's what I would hang with okay have you had a chance to compare the new python versus the old python the cold pythons i i have not i have um i've seen the new python um exterior finish it looks fine uh i understand they changed the lock work so you know in my snooty world the new python is really not the new python is the new python it's not the python it is the modern uh recreation of the python and you know to be blunt i've read enough reviews of the new python because i think i'm interested in it i'm not buying it but I, it, it intrigues me um you know some of those have come out with you know pretty one guy got a gun that had like a nine pound single action pull um, my python is significantly better than that it's 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 beautiful it, it my python is in my opinion the ultimate double action revolver it really is um, and i'm not a 357 guy and i'm not a cold guy i am a smith and wesson guy and i think the python is the best revolver now i've seen korth's I've seen the Manhurin M73s. I've seen them all. I mean, I've seen them all. And I, I just say my opinion is the Python is head and hands above it. And I think the old Python is better than the new Python. But the new Python is still a very nice gun. Um, it's still a very nice gun. So I, I like them both. My preference... If somebody said, here is x amount of dollars and you can buy one of these two guns with it without looking towards resale value or anything i would buy the old python that's just the way that's just me that's just the way it goes now if they put the same amount of money in front of me and and the old python and the new python and said you can buy one of these guns and you're going to carry it every day as a holster gun i would probably buy the new python because the stainless steel finish won't wear like the blue finish will um, it is a simplified design so it's probably probably pretty good they made it a little beefier none of that was actually necessary but it, it would be a very good holster gun I I like the new Python so I like it enough that if I were looking for a 357 holster gun which I'm not I would probably go with with one of those so that's the uh, that's the story of the the Battle of the Pythons. Okay, and that's, we're going to be a little bit short this time, but that's okay. Um, here is my last question: Have you seen the new, the newly made World War II style Liberator pistols, and what do you think of them? Well, I. I I like World War II weapons a lot, and I have some reproductions of World War II weapons. Um, I've got an auto ordnance Thompson. Uh, I've got 1911s that look like, well, one 1911 that looks like it's a 1911A1, but it's not. It's newly made. 
it's from auto ordnance too and a very nice gun actually um, but I like the original guns I like all that I would not buy the new Liberator pistol because number one I don't I don't like the way it looks but I would buy it if I if it was an original Liberator were offered to me and I was just diehard collecting I would buy it because it's an, a very very interesting piece of, of uh, gun history but it is not a great shooter it was not made for great shooting and a modern reproduction of it doesn't seem to me like it's neither a piece of history nor is it a great shooter so why would I spend money to buy one other than to say they produced something that was almost exactly like this as, as a whole in a collection because you can't find a liberator maybe but for no other reason than that no other reason than that but it is a curiosity and I understand that people like curiosities and like unusual guns but I think for your money you can buy and it may not be from World War well you could, it would be from World War two you you could probably for what one of those costs uh, probably find an M1 Garand or one of the carbines that's out on the market I'm not sure you could certainly find something Axis on the market. You could find a genuine piece of World War II history and not a copy of World War II history. As much as I like my my um, M1A1 style Thompson, it's still it's an SBR. It's semi-automatic only, and it's newly made. You know, so it's not a World War II Thompson. Um, but it's it's enough like it so that I really enjoy it because I will never be able to have a World War II Thompson um, that's just not in the cards so this is the next best thing um, I don't know of anybody who wants a Liberator so bad that they would settle for this as the next best thing I think you could probably buy you know you could buy a Walther P38 or something else for the same money and, and have a much much more interesting um, type of gun so that's what I would suggest people do and that is the last of our questions so that does it for this edition of old school guns the podcast that tells you like it is and as I said at the top you can email me at kbmakel at aol.com or put questions or comments on the comment section of podbean so until next time this is old school guns out <laughs>